Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. I have a um, very special guest from across, I was about to say across the pond, but that's not even across the pond, that's England. Some uh, <laughs> A guest from Australia. Would you please introduce yourself? Hi, um, I'm David Lopan, and I am, well, I'm a Twitter activist, as people like to say. Um, I work in the trade union movement in Australia, and I've previously worked in editing and publishing, which have been both really interesting fields, but uh, that's basically me. All right, so we'll just jump right in. Um, David, why is it important to cause a scene, and how are you causing a scene? Well, I actually had a. I was thinking about this last night, actually, um, and I, I like to probably. I, I'm a narrative story, narrative sort of person, and what I like to basically say was that um, I remember being a kid, and I remember uh, my mother, of all things, um, advocating for me in ways that would just be simply to get the same things that other kids were getting, and this is, I guess, something probably very familiar to people of color. And I found myself as a child being really embarrassed by this. And, you know, there was the typical embarrassment that you would have as a child uh, to your parents, but this was something else. You know, she was not fighting for more. She was fighting for exactly what everyone else was getting. And I felt that this was her causing a scene, you know, back then causing a scene was a bad thing. And I wondered as an adult, actually, that, um, you know, what is it that causes a parent to, you know, have to fight for this while fighting their own children. And, you know, that's that's what really got me. That's why, to me, causing a sin suddenly became something not negative, something positive, um, you know. So why why does a parent have to fight both society? Why do they have to fight a society of their own children um, simply to get the bare minimum? And that's why I think it's important to cause a sin. Um and yeah, sorry that yeah, that's 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 my thought. Um, and I'm causing a scene. How I'm causing a scene? Well, uh, <laughs> I I do like well, I, I talk a lot, and I like to also um, you know put myself out there and have these discussions. And I don't just do them in spaces where um, you know they're they're accepted or where I'm asked to do so. So I find that I get quite a lot of opposition. Um, especially online, and I get quite a little bit in, you know, my professional life previously when I worked in publishing. So, you know, uh, in a way, that's probably why I left it. And, yeah, that's, uh, I guess that's probably the answer. All right. So that's kind of subdued, all right? It is very subdued, yeah. yeah. It's very subdued because um, you came to my attention and we have a little... um, I'd say a little rhythm going. <laughs> yeah. Where I'll see something that you've posted and I amplify, you see something that I've posted and I amplify. And it's really interesting because individuals want to act like white supremacy is just in one place or one part of the country. And I find it fascinating that they like to ignore that we're amplifying the same message of white supremacy and racism in various parts of the world. And it is what it is. It's, it's, it's these, these enclaves, these hidden rules. It's like you're saying you're, you're, your mom is fighting for you and you're seeing it as a negative. And so you're fighting her back while she's trying to fight for you just to get what everybody else is getting. You just said that she's not trying to give you special treatment. She's just saying, why does not my, why my son is not getting everything that everyone else is getting? That's, and that's just the bare minimum. Absolutely. Um, so I really appreciate, um, and so I want to say thank you for that, um, because I, I really appreciate the fact that, um, and I, I follow several people in um, uh, in Australia and other countries where these messages are going global, 
and they're not just in um, one space. Like when Ruby did her Hadi um, Hammond, sorry, did her um, article about white women's tears, and she didn't realize how m much support she would get from black women in the United States. Um, these messages need to be shown that they're global. White supremacy is a global epidemic, a global parasite, and we need to be addressing it on a global level. What are your yeah. thoughts about that? What, where, where, yeah, because again, what you just said was pretty tame compared to what I see um, you, uh, you engaging in how you are um, challenging the status quo. I guess I'm just warning out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, this is the thing. I mean, um, before, before, before Twitter, um, it wasn't that I felt that these were only Australian issues, but it really drove home for me, you know, especially you know, reading people like your feed, um, that it is a global a global issue. Um, there are things like, I mean, especially in Australia, where we have, um, yeah, there is a problem here of anti-blackness. And, um, you know, we often, especially, I mean, in Australia, there have been multiple blackface incidences. And we always beg off that, you know, well, we're not a racist country, but we you know, we, we don't have, um, we don't, we, we're not, we're not anti-black because, you know, uh, black people are not in Australia. We don't have, we, we do, you know, we, we have a significant black population, but we don't have, um, you know, they, they believe that proximity makes them immune. And, you know, this is, this is the thing that, you know, I, I guess I, I, I try to educate around, you know, that global white supremacy, you know, it, it knows no borders. It has, um, it, it has so many permutations that um, we see day to day, you know, whether it be even through the importation of American culture in Australia, um, it represents itself. Um, so that that's the thing that I find really interesting. And it was great to actually find other people that, you know, had very similar experiences. Um, the American experience of uh, diaspora is incredibly similar to the one in Australia. Um, there are so many similarities and it's great to find kinship and strength and the ability to actually articulate what I want and have people respond and react to it. So. Well, one of the things that I find interesting is, um, again, the proximity um, issue that or flack that you get. Oh, I don't even know what the hell to call it. It's just bullshit. But it's like yeah. England, um, we, we both were colonized by US and Australia were both colonized by England. Um, and so that colonial, so it's not like the people changed. Um, it was the same, the same um, mindset that, that, um, that, um, that colonialized and took over. And then you have Aboriginal people there. And I, and, 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 and that's not what I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call them that. That's just, see, again, I'm learning. Um, the indigenous people in, in Australia and, um, and, and the thing about anti-blackness people, oh, it's, I, I am amazed by how entrenched it is around the world in very subtle, some, I mean, in the U.S., it's very, it's very blatant. I mean, we have a direct um, a historical perspective of slavery and our economy, our social norms, everything is based off of enslavement of, of, of Africans. So it's very um, out in the open. Well, it's way more out in the open than it used to be, but it still has always been a part of something in my life that I've seen. Yet, the more I learn about in South America, um, in Puerto Rico, which is a, um, a U.S. territory, and how um, darker-skinned um, Puerto Ricans are not treated as well as lighter, lighter-skinned Puerto Ricans. Or am I? I'm listening. To, I'm learning that um, how many people in Asian countries are bleaching their skins so they can look white and getting nose jobs so they can look white. And there's so everybody wants to be anything but black. Yeah, um, and that's the thing too. I mean, I'm also learning about how anti-blackness, well, infects you know Asian countries myself, and I've noticed it in you know even in family members, um, just simple and small things, things that you know people like yourself have pointed out that um, you know I thought would have you know probably wouldn't have survived importation, but they have. You know, there are simple things like you know people say things in Australia that I think. Um, 
you know, that that are, are definitely definitely anti-black, and their understanding of it is, um, you know, simply, you know, they're they're related to things that. So I'm going somewhere, and I've gone off a bit. I've gone off track quite a bit. But but, but, but in that, yeah. I want you to be specific. I want you to give examples mm. of what you've heard or experienced or seen oh, related to anti-blackness absolutely. in Australia. Absolutely, there's a definite distaste for things like hip hop culture, um, but at the same time, there's consumption of it. There are um, you know a lot of our popular music is. Um, hip hop and it's done by white Australian artists and you know they can consume the culture but at the same time you know be vehemently anti-black when you see things like and they the language they use everything from you know wording like the word thug you know that comes up quite a lot in our um in our uh in our media discourse and I don't think they understand you know the, the background to the word and often when they use it it means criminal and it also relates to um you know that that sense. Uh, right now, at the moment, we have a, an issue with what well, they're calling it the African gang issue, and a lot of the language used there is borrowed terminology. So again, words like thug, things like that, are only used to refer to the African population. And again, you know, things like the word African, there's no nuance there at all. Um, they use it to mean anybody with dark skin. So there's a lot of generalization there, and it runs relatively deep because you know you can watch the coverage of these um of incidences and because these populations have been made hyper visible in the last few years um there has been some migration in australia of um refugees from Su- uh, sudanese refugees and what we're finding is that suddenly you know they're well they're they're the ones being subjected to a lot of this um the, well, Australia's new anti-blackness thing. So. so how does that, since it's, because I find that interesting that it's a new thing when you have the indigenous individuals there who are, many are, they come in uh, uh, all shades, but many are quite dark. Um, yeah. And for anti-blackness to be a new thing, or is that just, they just ignore them altogether? Or is it? It's well, I wouldn't say that it's, Sorry, I wouldn't say that it's a new thing. I would sorry, I, I probably misspoke. I think this permutation of it is relatively new. Okay, got you. Um, so you know, there there's there's definitely the hate there for um, uh, indigenous um, the indigenous people, but there is also something new. And while they're interrelated, and they do both relate to anti-blackness, I think that, and this is probably just my observation that. Um, it's figuring itself out. It's figuring out what is socially acceptable, what it can get away with, and it's leveraging off what it previously used, its former anti-blackness to do it. Um, a lot of the same tools of demonization are being used. Um, the same eye of hypervisibility is there. And, um, you know, there there is, um, you know, I think there's definitely some similarities, but it's definitely also a new permutation. And it's interesting because um, after Serena lost oh, yeah. the, the Wilmington match, that that racist cartoon came out of Australia, which the cartoonist was vehement that it was not racist, but to depict her as very much animalistic. Those are those little, they're not even subtle, but they've been in our culture for so long because that's just... Um, um, that minstrels history that the U.S. has, mm-hmm. and is that a part? Was was that a part of Australian history, or is that minstrel thing now just showing up in 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 Australian um, culture? Uh, well, they are you know history, um, very similar minstrel show ideas, and uh, the same caricatures um, have showed up in Australia repeatedly. So there is currency there for it. There is a lot of cultural currency for it. But again, there's a lot of erasure around these sort of things like that, especially in Australia. We're not really cognizant of our racist history. And I don't think it's something that's been especially highlighted maybe in the last few years. Um, you know, I, I look back myself and I think about how much education I actually had about these sort of things. And these are things that are you know, clearly things that are um, obscured. Um, 
deliberately, deliberately obscure. Yes, exactly. And that's, that's, so many of the arguments that, well, I don't even have arguments. People think I'm arguing and I'm just like gaslighting their ass. Um, but many of these quote unquote discussions, because they're really not discussions because all I'm doing is highlighting for my, the people who follow me. Um, so they can learn is how ignorant whiteness is of its own history and and what I would in the United States will you be considered as, as a model minority, um, being of Asian descent, um, and and that being obscured from that same history being obscured from you as well because anything every any individuals or groups that came to the United States wanted to be any be tied to anything but blackness. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess in Australia, um, I think what we what we don't do is we don't ascribe agency to that um, ignorance. You know, we don't realize that the ignorance is deliberate. It's not a lack of education; it's a lack of seeking any education. And in terms of um, our history, I mean, our prime minister at the moment is talking about, you know, uh, one of one of the colonizers, um, you know, Cook, who came here and. Um, we're talking about the celebration of Australia Day. And one of the things that I found is, is that, well, actually, one of the things that all of us found is that he was um, completely ahistorical. He was um, talking about a commemorative journey that never happened, um, you know, putting in and spending, uh, you know, I think six or seven million dollars on, on, a, on, a, on a, you know, a commemorative journey um, that Cook apparently had done, but had in history never actually done. So, Cook, so is, you know, Cook is the United States' is Christopher Columbus? Yeah. <laughs> Not exactly, but close enough. You know? Okay. So, but, you know, even our prime minister promotes deeply ahistorical things. And while this is, this is pointed out, people don't seem to care, oh, especially whiteness, I guess. Um, it doesn't seem to care. And that's where I believe the deliberateness comes into it. Yeah, and that's the thing um, I talk about because I tell people I am not here to convince or to convert anybody. Those people mm-hmm. over there, you know what? Everybody has has a right to your opinion. Now, when things seem to shift and you're on the wrong side of history, there are consequences to that, as there have been consequences in the past. What I'm here is to um, educate those who are now seeing the reality of. Um, of our current and past situation and their role in being complicit in the oppression of other people. Um, mm. That's my only concern. And so when, what, what happens when, um, who's pointing out to this individual, the prime minister, that this is an untrue story? And then what's happening to these individuals when they're pointing this out? Well, this is the thing. I, I don't actually think there are. Um, I, I, I've actually, I've actually been watching it, especially on Twitter. And what I find is, is that um, you know, almost everyone is pointing it out on Twitter, and maybe that's just my small, closed little circle. But it is roundly ignored. Um, you know, so there are penalties, of course. I mean, right now we're going through. Um, uh, there's a. There was. I think it was last night that there was a. Um, an incident where a popular television host, the morning television host, had pointed out that they um, had said something relating um, a protest on Australia Day to um, uh, problems within the Indigenous community. And somebody pointed out, well, and it was a woman of colour, she pointed out that, look, that's racist. And already um, it looks like, you know, people are making moves to destroy a career. You know, they're calling it dishonest. They're saying, you know, she doesn't deserve to be on morning radio. And, you know, this is, this is, I guess, one of the similarities here between global white supremacy around the world, you know, that it seeks to destroy um, people that point out that it's not wearing any clothing, you know. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think, you know, if you make too much noise, um, especially in this political environment, that's what they'll seek. That's how it works. So. It's really interesting because I have never felt freer um, mm-hmm. speaking my mind um, because I often say the whiteness has never, although it's it's tried to dictate the narrative of my experiences and exper- experiences like mine, it has never been the expert. And now that it's the not the only one with a mic, I get to tell my story. So mm-hmm. I, um, I, and, 
and I intentionally decided that I had to build my own thing so that I would not be in a situation where I couldn't speak my truth or have the consequences of my financial well-being be um, taken away from me or destroyed because of that. Um, and so we're in a really interesting place where people like myself who've always felt, who's always been outspoken but couldn't speak out are now mm-hmm. being provided tools um, and technologies to, uh, to enable that to happen and building a community of people who will stand behind me or stand beside me. That's new. Um, because I, what I find is that the although ignorant by design, most whiteness, once they even begin to um, open their eyes a bit, realize that they really would not want to be actively complicit in the situations that they are. Now, I get it and I empathize that um, it requires you to, I mean, it's a total paradigm shift. It's, it's, it has to be a, um, a challenge to your complete psyche because it, it, everything you thought was correct is, um, needs to be now viewed through the lens of white supremacy. And that can be shocking. Um, hell, it's shocking for me to now do it. So I can imagine if you've always been privileged to now recognize that, oh shit, I'm not as great as I thought I was. I've just, I've just gained the system. I've just been, um, the system was designed for me to succeed. And then all the, the, the fabrications and um, untruths about marginalized people, um, people of color, black people in the U.S., about how the situations we're currently in are by our own making when this is so far from the truth and that there's systems in place that no matter how um, much effort and attention to detail or how civil we are, it, we are always at, um, it's always wrong. So that's why I don't even give a fuck about civility anymore. It's like, psh, I'm going to be wrong if I, if I come at you with the sugar and cake and everything else. And I'm going to be wrong if I just speak what the hell I have to say. It's just a lot less energy for me to just speak what the hell I have to say, because it's going to have the same out- impact anyway. So it's like, whatever. Yep. So my question for you, are you, were you born in Australia? Yeah, I was born in Australia. Um, actually, what you were saying just then, um, I, was, I was thinking about as you were saying, um, that it didn't matter what I said or how I said it or whether I spoke up or whether I didn't speak up, that I knew that, you know, the mechanisms of white supremacy were set up there to essentially, you know, disadvantage me. It would happen either way, you know. So I, I think in my own way, I thought that that was... You know, that's probably one of the triggers, one of the things that I thought maybe that's why I should be speaking up. You know, I, I'm going to pay the price anyway. It doesn't really matter. Um, so, you know, in, in a way, that's what turned me to, you know, my, my, I guess my own philosophy where I don't see myself as there to convert other people. You know, I see myself there as to build strength in my own community and people that share my experiences and to build communities or, or links between these communities, you know, the ones that are marginalized. And hopefully that's how we can do it, you know, because I I understand that white supremacy is about power and it is about taking power. Um, It's a struggle. You know, I don't always have to go out of my way to educate people that will never, never listen to me. Exactly. And I guess that's the understanding that I needed to have in doing it. So really, you know, if somebody asks me, you know, why don't you educate me? It's well, part of education. And this is probably me as an educator has to be the willingness to do it, you know, and that willingness can't just be willing to ask the question. It has to be willing to ask the questions and seek out your own truths. Exactly. Um, I had a conversation. um, I said, uh, I was speaking about the fact that American or America is a default for United States when it is not the only America. It's harmful to others who um, reside in, um, in the Americas, North, South, South, and Central. And there was one gentleman who just kept going and he just kept getting so angry because I was not going to, I said what I said. If you, if you had come at me in a way of you know what, could, is there anything you can, I don't understand this, but off the bat, you don't agree and you're going to challenge me. Well, okay, well, 
we're gonna go for this because this is where we're this is where we are. And then a white guy comes in and says the exact same damn thing, basically. And oh, thank you for the, you made a good point. No, he didn't make a good point. He made my point. Um, <laughs> but because for whatever reason, be it because I'm black, being because I'm a female, be it because I'm challenging your idea of your supremacy as the United uh, as the United States being the default America. You. Um, were trigger and defensive. And this is why this work has to, people have to practice being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Everybody's uncomfortable doing this. We're trying to create, or those who are concerned about this, are trying to create an experience that was never supposed to exist, particularly in countries where, I, I mean, just where there was slavery, period. Um, I, if, if we go by the constitution or as it was laid out or the builder, I should still be a slave. I should not have any rights. I should still be the property of whiteness. So no, I'm not going to, we're not going to have these philosophical, these prove it to me converse. We're not going to do that because I'm not even supposed to be where I am. So the fact that I'm where I am says that there exists another dimension, another reality, another perspective out there, and I'm not going to argue with you about mine, and I'm not going to justify my my existence. And that was like the biggest thing for me when I first started doing this was trying to, you know, like push the line to see what what I could say and what I couldn't say, and really coming up with a strategy beyond just the intention. Um, so I don't um, engage certain individuals. I only engage the ones I engage when I know there is an opportunity for learning to happen. Um, I don't care about your opinions because they don't matter to me because they don't, they do not nullify my personal lived experience. Um, I recognize that whiteness has never had to examine itself. So it does not understand all these things I'm talking to. If this is the first time you've had these conversations, you don't understand that whiteness is racist by default because that's how you were taught. You don't get it. So I'm not going to argue with you about that. And my timeline is not about for me. We're not going to debate. Um, and it also helps that I was a high school teacher. So I mm-hmm. understood very early in my career that if I um, gave over my power to that obstinate, ignorant student, that it was gone. And I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm going to run my classroom and I'm going to run my timeline. If you don't want to be there, seeing that no one invited you, you can just leave. Um, <laughs> Being a black woman in the United States in the South, that gives has given me so much internal empowerment that people just do not fathom that there's nothing out. I'm not trying to be a martyr, but there's nothing outside of physical threats of harm that you could do or say to me that's going to make me shut the fuck up. It's not going to happen anymore. I'm so over caring about the comfort of whiteness. I just don't give a shit. The, and, and actually, the more uncomfortable and in pain you are, the better it is for everybody because you've never had to experience this and it only takes, and this kind of change requires you to be in, at, at a level of discomfort whiteness has never experienced before. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that I find, especially online, is that the words, would you educate me then, um, they're spat out like an insult. They know that what they're doing is subjecting you to harm. They're hoping that that's what they're going to do. It's become a new weapon. So even just like that, one of the filters that I've found works for me is understanding the whiteness positions itself as the light of reason. Yes. Um, and that's <laughs> the colonial idea. That's, you know, it, it sees itself as bringing technology, bringing, um, bringing enlightened thought, you know, the enlightenment to all of us. And when you have discussions with people from that position, you know, where you are on the back foot because logically, well, you're not perceived as logical. Um, you know, this is where I can't have that conversation. Um, you know, I, I refuse to have it because, again, all it'll be used to do is hurt and harm me. Everyone in the hashtag called the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, Tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. 
To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. And I think that happens with activists every day, especially online, where we dash ourselves against rocks constantly. And, you know, it becomes, it becomes you know, our life. It's all-consuming. And then we don't, I don't think a lot of people notice when their friends drop off and never come back. Um, people of color, especially, you know, our visibility because of our visibility, um, they don't realize it and they don't see the harm. And, you know, it, we're not encouraged to speak about it. And when we do, when we do speak about it, we're punished. So it's almost like a no-win situation. And this is one of the reasons I had to come up with a strategy because I saw that potential in my path. Um, and I was like, no, I'm not, no, I'm not going to get burnt out. I'm not going to get, I have to have a strategy for engaging so that um, there's a long-term plan here for me. And because I specifically stay in the tech space, um, the potential that I have to really impact how tech um, is affecting the lives of our global community really means something to me. So no, I'm not going to argue with a Nazi or, you know, some nationalist. What, what, what am I doing that for? You're not even in tech. You barely condemn, you whatever, dude, go somewhere or whatever lady who's upholding white supremacy. But oh, wow, fight the, fight the patriarch is all about gender for you. Well, for me, it's about race first. I'm a black person first. That's what you see. That's where I get the most pushback or I'm not from being a female. It's for being a black woman. So that is where I'm going to prioritize. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You see people fall off all the time. And, and I really can appreciate the hashtag cause of scene community because there are specific people who will see um, what I'm doing and they know the triggers if I'm not on, t- on, on strategy. And they'll DM me. How are you doing? Yeah. What is this yeah. going on? Um, do you need to take a step back? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> And so I, yeah. I love that, but it also helps me that by default, my, my, my starting gate, my starting position when I engage is all whiteness is racist, thus it cannot be trusted. So I don't even have to go back. I'm not even going to go back and forth with some of the conversations that I see people having because that's my default. Um, so if you don't like that statement, then you need to demonstrate consistent behavior of being anti-racist on the spectrum of white supremacy, or are you openly white supremacist? That's the spectrum for me. So I, I eliminate a lot of the things that I see um, that people have conversations about or get down in the weeds and, and, and about, because I just, I just, I made that decision. I made that very conscious decision that where was my line that I'm yeah. not moving from. Yeah. And I, I keep thinking myself that uh, one of the things that whiteness, regardless of where on the spectrum they see it, always expects the benefit of the doubt. You know, it's oh provided automatically. <laughs> oh, my God. And this is the problem that I have, you know. So giving somebody the benefit of the doubt, um, people don't realize is work. Um, you have to give them work. You know, you have to put aside all of your beliefs and understandings and even your instincts to trust that person that what they have to say is in good faith. And too many conversations I've had have been outside of that good faith. I sit there and I watch, you know, people engaging somebody that started a conversation that has no faith at all. It doesn't even expect that the person it's talking to understands it or, you know, may possibly have a piece in it. It just wants to say what it wants to say. And, you know, I, I, I used to find myself mired in those conversations and they would hurt. And, you know, I didn't know how to express how they hurt or why they hurt. And this, you know, this can't go on daily. You know, this this happens in every, I mean, almost every person of color I know tells me that this is their day-to-day experience, you know, that they have to be giving all the time and at no point do they get back, you know. So and this is why it feels pointless. Yeah, and that's why I'm very intentional. I'm glad you brought that up. And people are like, oh, you're doing this for money. Damn right I'm doing this for money. I mean, I need to pay. This is shit. This is, this is emotional labor that I choose to do, and I'm going to do it at the level that I do. You don't get to tell me. Um, people, people are like, well, why don't? No, I, I don't. You don't get to tell me what to say and how to say it. And also, if this is something that you value, stop talking and put your damn actions to it. I get, mom, um, Wells Fargo does not take 
your compliments. It does not take your likes. It takes money. So if this is something you want to do, then you support the things that I'm doing for the community to make it better as a whole. And thankfully, um, and I'm going to be honest, and surprisingly, it has um, benefited me um, last year and going into this year that um, I've been able to create a space and provide various opportunities for the community to step up and say, hey, this is worth putting my money to. So as mm-hmm. I go to corporations at this point, it's like, yeah, so if you're telling me, no, you won't sponsor the podcast or no, you won't sponsor the conference or you know, this, that, and other, your community People who work for you, who buy your products and works on, work on your things are saying this is important to you. So now we're having a different conversation. So now that's another strategy for me because now we're not even having a conversation of whether it's important because the community says it's important. What you're saying is it's not important to you and that's an entirely different conversation. So I don't have to waste my time talking about that thing now because now we can just get straight to the point that this isn't important to you and if I can decide if I want to have that conversation and put that, in, put that square in your lap and you decide if that's something that um, is true or not. Um, So a lot of this for me, and I I really, and I talk about this a lot and I talk about strategy a lot because I'm hoping people will hear it. Um, I'm a strategist by by design. I am not inclusion and diversity expert. I hate when people say that. I think about business strategy all day long. We are not building businesses that were on the corner of, of the neighborhood where everybody looked like you. We are building businesses, products and services that are impacting communities around the world. And when you don't have the perspectives um, of those potential customers, you are causing harm. The potential to cause harm is so much greater. And so this is these are business imperatives. So no, I'm not going to sit back and uh, argue with you. I'm not going to... No, you, that's a choice you want to make. Um, also, when I um, engage people, I don't know if you notice, I don't... I rarely engage directly to someone. Mm-hmm. I quote comment, I mean, comment, retweet, I only directly respond to people I know are in my community. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was just thinking about what you were talking about, uh, about, you know, um, how, uh, how, um, you know, people seem to shame you for doing simple things like capitalizing on your own experience. Um, when, you know, in, in a way, I guess one of those mechanisms of white supremacy that I talk about is that how, um, you know, only some people are allowed to capitalize on what they what they do or their experiences and you know it seems like that is you know one of those things that keeps us oppressed that you know exactly. we can't talk about it and capital in a capitalist system is one of the, the the things that allows us to be able to convey our experiences um you know and our participation is shamed like even though in, in effect you know capitalism is a system that keeps us down so and then, and I'm glad you brought up capitalism because that's a, a interesting there's a there's a book that I'm writing Finding capitalism without white supremacy, because it speaks. People talk about all the the, the ills and of of capitalism. Capitalism is a theory, and that's it. Mm. It's how it's been implemented around the world, which is a problem. And in the United States, our capitalist system was implemented um, to justify and maintain slavery. So, and mm. and the and the obliteration of indigenous peoples here people in the United States. So it's not that capitalism is a problem. It's that how we implement it. But speaking to what you just said, you are absolutely, no one says, where very few people say um, that, no, I'm going to say, people don't say, oh, um, Mark Zuckerberg, is 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 wrong for being a capitalist. His he's he's wrong for doing the things that his you know his, the company and the crap that they're creating and the harm they're doing. People talk about um, Jeff Bezos. It's not that he's a capitalist. Oh, they think these guys are great. Um, Elon Musk. They think these guys are brilliant. But when I want to do, or people like me want to do the same thing. Oh, why don't you have a Patreon? Why the fuck should I have a Patreon? I am a business. I am a business strategist. I'm not a charity. Why does work like changing our actual culture have to be yeah. seen as some charity or some nonprofit or some bullshit like that, where I have to beg yeah. for what value I'm going to just be straight up. What value compared to what I put into the world and Mark and Mark Zuckerberg puts in the world? What's the difference? Yeah, and you know that we're always being chased out of spaces. I mean, now what? Our, it seems like 
all the marginalized people I know are looking for new business models, ways to survive and ways to feed themselves. But over and over, these things keep, um, keep becoming exploitative. They're predominantly owned by, you know, white businessmen. And they're, you know, this is, this is the thing, you know, uh, in, in chasing that new thing, we're not able to build power bases in any, in any of these, in any of these places. So in a way, um, uh, you know, I guess, um, even going back to traditional business models or going into or learning how to learning how to capitalize on our without you know looking for new and exploitative ways to do it is probably something important and you know that's something i admire in you <laughs> yeah one of the things that i'm that's being built right now is called the alliance and it's mm-hmm. um it's an online community that i'm building it's um it's going to be a monthly um membership space where the community because we we can't really have conversations on twitter because we get mm-hmm. interrupted we're always you know on the defense i'm creating yeah. a space called the alliance where we can go in and i can actually scale the knowledge and we can have actual conversations about what we're learning and put strategies behind it that's yeah. another thing that i'm doing to monetize this because um every other um, when you talk about white supremacy, it's been here for that hundreds of years. They have a long tailwind on us, <laughs> and we, I mean, because if you you see it on on um when we engage, after two or three tweets, they start saying the same thing. It's like they they act like it's novel, and we're like, okay, we heard this. Okay, we see where you, now where you're going with this because you're saying the yeah. same thing that. Uh, Hey, we don't have that. When we need to create that script that every time someone engages, we are saying the same thing. We're moving in the same direction. We know what we're talking about. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to monetize the hell out of everything I can because I deserve it. Um, yeah. And this work I do is hard. I'm not one of those people who are just throwing shit out there. I do research. I have my Trello board looks like a massive um, and I'm educated. I am an educator. So um, I'm going to get paid. Yeah, and I'm not going to feel absolutely. the same for it. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. You know, and, and I think what you're talking about there, carving out your own space, is something that you know is is absolutely critical. And uh, in in a way, that was part of my own strategy. Um, that you know, we we aren't given the space to breathe, to have the discourse that we need to have. Um, to you know, even in um, you know, if we if we isolate it down to I guess specific industries too, um, there isn't a lot of dialogue because we're simply not in number in a lot of those industries um, and given access to things to be able to have conversations. Um, you know, so sometimes even what, I mean, I, I guess I used to work in the publishing industry where I was the only person, you know, the only, the only person of color there. And in a way I was almost um, the only eye on things like, um, you know, problematic behavior and, it was incredibly isolating. So incredibly, you know, I'm sure overwhelming because to be the only absolutely. when you're doing when you're having to put out um, not only put out fires but identify fires but ahead of time and then you're the you the um, default. Oh, send this to David. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, and you know it didn't even let me work out my own issues. Like there are still oh, intra-community yeah. issues that I don't. I don't have a, I don't have a, I didn't have a handle on then at all. Um, I didn't understand, you know, um, I, I understood my own oppression, but no one else's. So, you know, while I was doing this work, I was still harming other people. You know, I was working as an agent of white supremacy, yep. um, you know, and I wasn't doing it. I wasn't doing it on purpose. It was just simply that, you know, I guess, you know, just like, um, I, 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 you know, that, that I guess that is the, that is the, that is the goal and the ability of white supremacy has you working for it, regardless of whether you want to or not. Exactly. And, and that's and it's, it's very interesting um, uh, because I, I just came back from vacation from a dear friend who was like, you know, like I said, I, I'm going to spoil you because I see the work you've done. And she's a white woman. And and I haven't stayed in a family because um, I've always been the only. So my godparents are white. But I haven't been in a white family or live with a white family with this level of understanding ever. So there were a lot of things that were just like cultural shocks to me. I've seen them before, but now that I'm looking at things through the lens of white supremacy, it was really interesting. And she, and she is such a, 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 a person that I could say whatever. I didn't have to censor what I had to say. I could process 
what I was experiencing. Because that's another thing people don't understand why they're pulling and tugging at us all day long. What they don't understand is as I'm going to speak for myself as a black woman, I am the bottom of the totem pole um, in, in this in this system, a black black women, and that includes trans black women. <clears throat> um, we're at the bottom. And so as I'm doing this work, I'm also needing a space to process what I'm my own stuff, my own yeah. feelings. So I'm I'm educating, but I'm also going through it where yeah. um most people are not. And so I really appreciate those um those those individuals in my life and I'm very happy that I've been able to cultivate that because these people understand that to be that close to me as a white person you have to be willing to make yourself absolutely uncomfortable so that I can be comfortable it has cannot be about you and if you can't do that for me then you can't be close to me and I don't care if you don't like it um, it is for my own safety because I need, um, and it reminds me of, I've, I've been speaking often about when I was younger, I used to have these ideas of what I, what I wanted my relationships to be. Now, mm-hmm. it, for me, it's basic emotional and psychological safety. That's it. I can take care of myself. I can do it. I need mo- emotional and psychological safety. If you, if our relationship, if we can't create a space where that's where I can be my safe spot, we would never be close. Period. Yeah. And I would never trust you. <laughs> yeah. I, look, I, I always wanted to look at, um, you know, where exactly was that safe space? And I, I like to use my experience as diaspora. I recently went back to my homeland. And um, it, it's an interesting thing because while there is still global white supremacy, there is the feeling that, uh, you know, of almost like an absence of a form of whiteness, the one that's been, you know, most common in my life. And when I was over there, you know, it was simple things to realize how little we were catered to um, or how much whiteness is catered to. You know, I use the example of being in a hotel. Um, You know, everything, I'm not especially tall. And I was looking at the, um, I I was in a hotel and looking at, um, you know, things like the benches. You know, things were at my height. You know, the the default, um, the, the slippers that were in the hotel were, smaller they were to my size and it's interesting to see even just little things like that and i know they don't sound significant and they're not you know massive massive you know massive leaps here but simple things like that make me realize how much um, work i would be doing how much i wasn't catered to and even there um you know i still feel alien in a place that uh, you know really my, my parents came from and i feel alien in a way, in Australia. So where is that space? You know, where do we carve it? Where do we get it? Um, um, because even on reflection, I don't, I don't see that even, you know, even in Asia. I'm still just as alien there as I am here. So Yeah, I really can, um, can vibe with that because that's one of the reasons outside of the fact that I don't like to call myself American, uh, African-American because I'm from the United States. Um, but I don't call myself African-American because I have no connection to Africa. Um, it's like that's been completely stripped from me. I don't have any connection with that. And also I've experienced where Africans come to United States and they come in and, and, and um, fall into the minor, um, model minority myth as well. And so blacks in the U.S. are considered beneath even Africans from um, Africa. So it's like even amongst people who um, heredity um, or historically I may have come, uh, I, I, but Africa is a big country. I mean, a continent. And so it's, 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 I, I totally understand. It's like, where do you go? And I've been saying this a lot and it's like, so where do I go? And it's, and it's basically to where do I go to find safe spaces? And it's with other black women, but other black women are tired as well. So it's like, even in our, the places where we feel safe, we're all depleted. We're all absolutely, you know, exhausted. So it, it, it felt, although it was very uncomfortable, it felt good to be catered to by whiteness. I, that's just, that's just reality. It felt great to be catered to, to whiteness. And this is not the only person in my community who's done that. There's a person who, um, when I was in London, her and her husband wanted me to come stay with them so they could take care of me. Um, these um, whiteness was actually the the um, who first 
it urged me to start making money. Why aren't you getting paid for this? Because again, I had that internalized white supremacy that this is not, no one's going to pay for this, that whole thing. So it took me to hear them say, no, Kim, you need to charge. No, you need to be getting paid for this. Um, And those are the things that for me um, help lessen the blow because I recognize that there are people that really care about me in this world who aren't like related to me. You know what I'm saying? There are people <laughs> yeah, out there. Absolutely. Um, and then it helps to have people like you and, and others that I've met around the world in my network, because I know that if I share a tweet with you, you'll get it, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's like uh, where whiteness fails because they don't get it. There are people out there who are still trying to figure out how to do this um, yet who we can, we can, we can, um, and I like the word that you use the word kin because, um, a friend of mine who's, um, a transgender woman, she, that's what she calls in. She calls us kin because we are experiencing the same, uh, well, similar oppressions. And that's what it is. It's just, it's like with that kin, um, I, I don't know exactly what your, your experience is. I don't know at all, basically, let me be honest, what your experience is, but I know what oppression looks like. And I know that although it, 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 it looks different and feels different in your life, that oppression is oppression and you know what that feels like in my life. And that oh, yeah. gives us this, this bond, this kinship um, that to me is, it's, it helps me keep going. And look, you know, I, 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 I love, uh, I have very similar thoughts too. Um, and I don't like that, you know, the, the reason why our differences are, um, well, I don't like that whiteness essentially controls the differences in our experiences. Um, that, you know, it is something that, um, like one example I like is that, you know, my parents had a completely different relationship to whiteness. So when you were talking about, um, you know, um, people from, um, you know, African diaspora. Um, uh, I, you know, it brought home a lot of things to me too. Um, my mother still remembered, um, being you know, a different power dynamic. She still remembered being in a place predominantly Asian. Um, so she was still navigating how she related to Australian white supremacy. And we find that with, um, the influx at the moment in Australia of Chinese students, they're still figuring out how they relate to Australian white supremacy, whereas I have a completely different relationship. Mm. And I don't especially feel the same kinship to them because, again, you know, we have completely different, well, we don't have completely different struggles, but we have completely different relationships to white supremacy. And you'll find that it, it happens. Like, um, you know, online every now and then I'll get another person of colour that comes up to me and says, you know, why are you doing this? Yeah. Why are you, why are you, why are you fighting them? You know, they're, and you know this is this is because they simply have a completely different power dynamic and understanding of that power. And I hate that the reason why I don't have kinship with them is because um, you know it is completely driven by whiteness. You know, mm-hmm. this is how whiteness wants to um, use and you know use and you know abuse them. I guess in a way, um, you know, it's. Uh, they one of the one of the things I found about the cultural appropriation discussion was, especially in Australia, whenever they sought out somebody to speak to about cultural appropriation of, say, Chinese, um, you know, Chinese cultural practice, they would go to somebody in China. They wouldn't go to an Australian, uh, you know, an Asian Australian, a Chinese Australian who was the one complaining. They would always seek it out. So whiteness had to be at least cognizant of the shift in power dynamics because it went for the answer it wanted and it came back with the answer it wanted Mm -hmm. and it used that and it used this you know this belief that asian australian and you know chinese were too closely related that we were monolithic that you know you could ask one and in theory it should apply to all of us Mm -hmm. and that was the worrying thing for me and you know they weren't looking at how specifically they oppressed people in that were Asian Australian they were looking for an answer they wanted and you know this is you know this is the thing yeah in Australia I mean we still refer to people like myself as second generation migrants so you know that they are cognizant of the differences but they refuse to accept them because it serves their argument well and yeah I'm glad you said that because it goes to the um 
to the why I, I don't give a fuck about civility. There's only like civility is optional for whiteness, but it was the expected yeah. behavior of marginalized groups because it, 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 it meant that we could manage our own behaviors while they yeah. could take care of other things. So while we're um, arguing about skin color or, you know, you're from China and I'm and, um, Chinese, Australian or whatever, we're distracted while they're able to do whatever they want to, but then yet they are still trying to navigate and control the conversation. And that's what happened today. And I was like, dude, you don't get, he's like, um, yeah. I really want to understand if you really want to have a, um, a, a, a real conversation, my DMs are open. Fuck you and your DMs. I don't have to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, yeah. you don't get to drive this, buddy. I'm sorry. This is not <laughs> where this is not happening on, on my timeline. Now, I don't know how that works with other people, but yeah. you don't get to do that here. And so that has been a big um, thing just just shutting that down for them and they just they're just like oh my god what the hell is this I don't know what this is you refuse to talk to me what I mean yeah what the hell is that? <laughs> I'm like, I, I get I get to make that choice <laughs> yeah oh yeah oh yeah and you know what I, I always seems to frustrate me is that the belief that and this goes back to their default as the reasonable people. They always try to position themselves as the most reasonable people in the room. And they do that by saying, look, I'm sitting here at the table. I'm just waiting for you to come to the table. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they lay out traps all the way to that table. So, you know, by the time you get there, you've been dashed against rocks so many times. And that's why really, yeah. that's the difference between diversity and inclusion. Because mm. um, just because you have a table or even if I'm sitting at the table, that doesn't mean I feel safe enough to engage with you. And this yeah. is that again, like you said, that fallacy. Oh, I'm here. Yeah, you're here. But you got, um, as you said, you got the mold around you. you I got to cross this and I got to swing over that and I got to crawl through glass. No, no, thank you. I don't need all that. I'm going to stay over here. And if you want to have a conversation with me, then you can come over here and you can be uncomfortable. You can go through all that. Because as yeah. I say, paras- uh, white supremacy is a parasite and the, for the first time it's eaten on its host. So this That's is right. where this comfort is coming from. And they don't have the skills that we have um, yeah. with managing they don't have the resilience. And so, oh my God. And I know we're going to wrap this up, but you just, that just hit me when you're talking about the Chinese, um, the, the particular students that are coming from China is they don't have what you have that you've had to develop yeah. over the years. They don't have that. Um, that, so when they get slapped with racism and white supremacy, they're like, I do, what the hell is that? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. so foreign to them. They don't have the coping mechanism for it. Yeah. And this is the thing. I mean, you know, civility. Um, I, I I speak. Well, I remember asking my mother about her relationship to um, white supremacy, but not exactly in those words. But mm-hmm. um, so she went to a uh, a British school um, uh, set up. You know, again, you know, consider that white whiteness considers itself the default of you know enlightenment. So in a way, um, she felt that she was being um, trained. And the notions of civility, especially British civility in that case, um, in colonized places, was a tool for um, subjugation. Um, yep. It was to make them and erase their culture. You know, she yep. was told not to do specific things, trained in specific ways. And I find that that's still true now, even though it's not all the civility of today isn't the same formal setting. It has so many mechanisms within it that are... Um, that are oppressive, you know, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be, that we shouldn't be polite to people, but, um, in a way, um, those things don't, that civility doesn't, um, you know, it's a two way street. That civility there was, um, they were subjecting them to violence while telling them to be more civil. (laughs) Just like slavery. You gave them a Bible and said, this is for your own good as we beat your ass and rape you and do all these, sell your children and all these things, but we're doing this for your own good. Yeah. We're doing this because there's a, if you can stay, if you can stay strong, there's, there's a reward for you in heaven. Um, yeah, there, it's a whole, they've been gaslighting for, <laughs> for <laughs> yeah. Um, so as we wrap up, are there any, is there anything you'd like to say in closing? In closing? Um, yeah. Um, I really appreciate being here. Um, I like, that you know that we can reach across not the pond but the ocean <laughs> and we can make these alliances and we can have these discussions because i think all of our empowerment will come from that all of our struggles um combined when we can have that space and we can have that discussion you know maybe maybe the fight isn't so hard and i would love 
to do this more often. I would like to have more conversations. You know, even just hearing your voice, it helps. It helps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, you realize uh, you're not alone and you're not alone. We're not alone in this. Um, and yeah, this digital high five. Yeah, thank you. And this is why I see when people like um, very privileged people, oh, we need to burn down Twitter. It's easy for you to say, go build your own shit. But this yeah. is where I've built my community and I'm not going anywhere um, because yeah. this is where I meet people like David, where I know that I'm not crazy. This is happening all over the fucking <laughs> yeah. world. It's not yeah. in my head, which you've been telling me all my life. It's in my head. It is not. So... Yeah. With that, I want to thank you and definitely, um, you know, we'll continue to follow each other and continue to amplify our messages and absolutely and stay safe. Yeah. All no, right. You too. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Call the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the hashtag Call the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the hashtag Call the Scene community. Just visit the website at hashtag callthescene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.